T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's Esme Murphy on a Saturday evening. Hope you are managing to get around town pretty well. Uh, it sounds like the folks at Back to the 50s, at least, um, you know, our folks, Eric Nelson, uh, did not have a trouble getting out there. But I think a lot of people are having some trouble getting around. I know that I tried to go my usual route towards the University of Minnesota today from 394, blocked off, the Lower Hill Tunnel closed. A lot of concerns, folks, about the Pride Parade tomorrow. Uh, one of the biggest events in the Twin Cities, they expect 300,000 people to attend. And the light rail, that green line, is actually shut down. They have buses apparently running, but the light rail is shut down, uh, which is an alternative for some people going you know, from Interstate 94, especially if you're trying to get here from St. Paul. So, folks, uh, check the websites. Leave plenty of time. There's an awful lot going on this weekend. A lot of events, a lot of really fun events, but a lot of road closures and construction as well. Well, listen, we have an awesome show lined up for you. Um, Coming up this hour, we're going to visit with uh, former Secretary of State Mark Ritchie. He is actually one of the people that is pushing and trying to get the World's Fair to come here to the Twin Cities. And I'm also going to ask him, since he, you know, was Secretary of State for a number of years, I think eight years, his thoughts about the revelation this week that more than 20 states, 21 states, had been hacked by the Russians. Apparently it didn't change any votes. I have not yet heard if Minnesota is one of them. I doubt it because of the way we conduct our elections, but we'll ask him about that. And then did you hear about Mark Zuckerberg coming to the Twin Cities? And he actually had, uh, and I, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, an Iftra dinner which is the dinner that is marked and the the fasting of Ramadan. And he had a dinner with a number of Somali refugees from Minnesota in Minneapolis. Then he went to like a hockey school in in Minnetonka uh, early in the morning. He almost sounded like it was sort of an anthropological investigation. Uh, He was like, and these young people, they they, they put on skates as soon as they can walk – but he, he wrote about that. He also wrote about a visit at a truck stop in Iowa. We're going to talk to the, these folks that helped organize this dinner here in Minneapolis and see what it was like, what he was like. I actually really want to hear from him and, and see what he has to say. Also, in the 7 o'clock hour, and this is such a sad story, uh, we're going to talk with an expert about North Korea. And this the death of Otto Warmbier is so sad and so tragic. And I think one of the things that troubles me the most – is that there are still tour groups operating that are catering to Americans and to American young people to go to North Korea, where obviously the dangers are inherent. Uh, If you do one thing that might seem out of bounds for them, the consequences, as you see with Otto, are devastating. So we're going to talk to uh, that expert as well. And then uh, the new foods at the Minnesota State Fair, and then 8 o'clock, my absolute favorite guest, David Schultz. So keep it here. You've got a lot going on here. Saturday Night with Esme. Stay tuned. 
is 613 in the Twin Cities. Well, my next guest is somebody I haven't talked to in a while. He is the former Secretary of the State of Minnesota. And he also is one of the folks that is leading the effort to bring the Minnesota World's Fair here. He is, of course, Mark Ritchie. How are you? Are you there, Mark Ritchie? And I thought we had Mark Ritchie. Uh, Anyway, um, Mark Ritchie, of course, was the Secretary of State for, I believe, uh, eight years. And he obviously was in charge of all elections for the state of Minnesota, including that very tense recount uh, in 2008 involving the race between Senator Al Franken or then candidate Al Franken and then Senator Norm Coleman. And he presided over that. Uh, He obviously uh, went on to preside over a lot of other elections as well. And he also has been leading the effort to bring the Minnesota World's Fair right here to Minnesota. And I do think we have Mark Ritchie on right now. How are you? Very good. Very good. Glad to be back on. Well, great to talk to you. Can I ask you, I want to talk about your efforts to bring the the World's Fair here to Minnesota. But can I just ask you your thoughts as a former Secretary of State about the news of Russian hacking into not only just general email accounts of national candidates, but also state accounts or state uh, election commissions as well? Well, I think there was uh, almost an impossible uh, situation where no one could ever have imagined the level, the scope, and the comprehensiveness of the hacking that took place that we know of. So there's a lot of hacking we'll don't know. We don't know yet. But for example, down to the level of a polling place, there was hacking that disabled or overwhelmed the machinery, the electronic machinery that's often used to check in voters. And so when you do that in a specific county or in a specific polling place, you disrupt the ability of people to vote. Long lines uh, come out the door. People swing by, they're on their way home, they're coming to work. They say, oh, the line's too long, I'm not going to vote. So we found out one piece at a time about a massive hack of the U.S. election, which I think no one imagined that it could happen. Now we have to find the ways to prevent that from being repeated. But the problem with hacking is you're always trying to defeat the last hack and the hackers are already way ahead of you. So this is a crisis for the whole democracy. We need to pull together and see what we can do. But I think, speaking for myself and for my 50 or so other secretaries of state who really are there to defend the democracy, this was by far the greatest crisis for our voting democracy in our lifetime. And we don't yet know the depth. We haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. And we haven't really gotten serious about how to prevent it from happening again. But at least now we're having this conversation. Well, well, well let me ask you, um, because you, you are no longer Secretary of State. When, when you were Secretary of State, were you aware of any or were you ever notified of any hacking attempts against the state of Minnesota election system? Well, the Secretary of State's office handles both elections, kind of the back office, uh, you know, most elections are conducted locally, the county, the town, the township. But there is a very important role. And the Secretary of State's office also provides many of the important services for our businesses. And as Secretary of State, one of the most, um, I'd say, 
frightening experiences during my two terms, my eight years of service, was the experience when hackers from outside the U.S. were able to take down and disable our business services. Now, and when did services, that happen? Um, I would say in my near the end of my first term. So, you know, I was first elected. 2011 or so. So around then. But here's what happened for me. First, I became aware of how um, reliant we were now on these digital systems. And so people who needed to get a document for their adoption or needed to register a new company or do something with a real estate were really in a difficult situation because we were disabled by the hacking. But the second thing was I began to imagine what if this happened on Election Day and we were disabled. And so it was a early warning for me. But to imagine that it could so rapidly become a national and possibly election-altering um, kind of a, a hack at a very, very mega scale was not something that crossed my mind. I thought, oh, somebody hacked the state of Minnesota, Secretary of State office. We need to beef up our security. But it didn't, it didn't prepare me for what we're now discovering happened to, to really influence the last election. So I had a warning. But I couldn't imagine that it could get to this level. But here we are. Let me ask you just because I do want to get into the World's Fair situation and your efforts there. But let me ask you, do you feel, you know, and I know that you have been out of office now for a year and a half or so or more. Do you feel that Minnesota is pretty well set up to safeguard an actual election? Well, we have the one fundamental thing that safeguards all election, and that's that we vote on paper. We physically have a copy of how we're voting. And so if electronic equipment is knocked out or if, you know, we've had situations where it just was a snowstorm and a tree fell sure. and an electric line. So, <laughs> well, you know, you know we're, we've we're, been there. <laughs> we've been there. We've done that. So we have never given over our system to something that is completely vulnerable, like what happened in some southern states where, you know, they didn't have a paper backup of their voting record or, or that kind of thing. But I do believe that we were warned this year that our imaginations need to be expanded so that, for example, we, we think of the hacking of elections having something to do with, let's say, the voting process. But the hacking that was some of the most dramatic actually was disrupting the check-in process. So we had not ever thought that if you disrupted the checking in, if you make it electronic and you don't have a paper backup and all of a sudden the electricity is out or the machine is, is gummed up by a, a known Trojan or some hack, then you have the impossibility to process voters. Lines get backed up. People get frustrated. People leave. So Minnesota now has a chance to sort of double-check all of our systems, make sure we have the kind of paper backup, you know, be thankful that the people who came before me as Secretary of State and others protected our system. But we live in a nation, and if the nation is insecure in other states, it can and will affect us. So we have to defend and protect our own systems here, and we need to be investing more, uh, quite frankly. But we also need to be aware that what happens in other states will affect us because we are one nation, and then do what we can to move 
our colleagues, our neighbors, our friends, others in the national, like in Congress and in, in Washington, to take this seriously and to tackle it at a national level. I believe Minnesota has the model system, and we can help other states with that. But protecting what we have is really important. But uh, remembering that we are in one nation and what happens at a national level will affect us. We need to use our national voice to the best of our ability. All right, Mark Ritchie, thank you so much for weighing in on that. Okay, let's talk about what you're doing now. The World's Fair or the World's Expo, what's the correct term? Well, Could it come here? Everyone uses different words, but I think in the United States, we think of them as the World's Fair, St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, Spokane, Seattle. But what's exciting is that um, just a little bit over a week ago, the Minnesota bid, the idea of hosting the 2023 World's Fair, was voted and approved to be in the final round. So in this November, on November 15th, Minnesota goes up against a city in eastern Poland, Wolds, Poland, and Buenos Aires. And so we were, uh, as a team there, lobbying other countries because it's really a vote of representatives of the 170 countries who are members. And it was so exciting first to see their appreciation of our theme because it's around health and wellness. People saw this as a universal theme, really important, never been a World's Fair focus on that theme. So that was one big part of the great reception. But the second part was that people know a little bit about Minnesota and they're intrigued. You know, they've had some way of hearing about Minnesota or knowing a little bit. And so what we found as a group was that this um, great support that we found for our bid, for our proposal, um, has really given us the wind to our back, the momentum we need. Now we have to work very hard between now and November to both maintain the support we received and to earn the support from other countries. We need to prevail in that vote in November, but when we do, we will then have five and a half years to prepare the site and the real process for hosting what could be about 12 million attendees, 100 countries or perhaps more coming here, sharing their vision, their wisdom, their experience around health and wellness, and connecting people from around the planet to tackle what's really one of the main issues that we know touches every person, every family, every community, health, wellness, healing. These are things that Minnesotans both think about in our daily lives, but they're also a big part of our economy. So this can be a big infusion from a kind of local economy, a lot of tourism. But more importantly, it'll bring a spotlight to the incredible accomplishments of the people here. For hundreds of years, we've been really world leaders in health and wellness. And also it will bring us into partnerships and relationships with people from around the world. And this is so important as we keep moving well, forward. Well, let me ask economy. you, um, and we're chatting with former Secretary of State Mark Ritchie, who is now involved, heavily involved in, in the effort to try and bring the World's Expo, the World's Fair to Minneapolis. To the, it would, be to, would it be to the Minneapolis or to the Twin Cities? Would it be the Twin Cities? We're still looking Expo. very carefully at sites, but obviously it needs to be near you know, our good transit and light rail, it needs to be convenient. There has to be a certain amount of space. But, you know, it'll be in the Twin Cities someplace. All right. And and right now, I mean, how often is there a World's Expo or World's Fair? 
Is there, is there one going on right now? Yes, there's one going on right this minute about alternative energy or future energy is actually the theme in the capital city of Kazakhstan. So in Asia, Astana, Kazakhstan, two years from now in 2020, so two and a half years from now, it will be in Dubai. The theme there will be creating, connecting minds, creating the future. So that's the 2020. And then our bid is for 2023. That'll get settled this November, hopefully with Minnesota being successful. And already the cities competing for 2025 have been announced. So Paris and Osaka are two of the leading ones. So every couple of years, um, there are World's Fairs. Some are six months long, some are three months long. 2023 Minnesota World's Fair would be three months long in the summer of 2023. All right. And who are some of the partners who are involved in this? Um, well, I mean, you yeah. have to have, I mean, because there's going to have to be a certain outlay of, of resources, you know, in terms yes. of communities and very, state and local. Very strong supporters um, in the local community. And they range everything from, you know, people who are broadly speaking in the kind of health and medicine world, people like Blue Cross and North Memorial and Medtronic, people involved in the hospitality world like Mall of America and Carlson, people who just are lovers of our community and are always investing in our community like the Hubbard family. But we also have some companies and some organizations who just are leadership, our building trade unions, many of our credit unions, our cooperatives, So it's been a wonderful kind of eclectic gathering of people who said, you know, Minnesota needs to be in the world's mind. We all joke about the fact that people don't know Minnesota, but if you're trying to get a student to come here or recruit a worker or recruit a leader and, you know, they don't know Minnesota, but if you can get them to come to Minnesota once, then they fall in love with Minnesota, and you can hardly get rid of them if you want to. So it's kind of a joke, but the truth is a World's Fair brings millions of people, but it also brings virtual and digital visitors. Milan was the last big World's Fair just two years ago, and it was a billion uh, or more than that who were unique visitors to their website. It also brings media attention because around the world people say, oh, Minnesota's hosting a World's Fair. Who's Minnesota? Oh, yeah, Minnesota. We, we've heard about that. Oh, look at who's there. Mayo Clinic and Medtronic. And, oh, yes, that's where Prince was from or Bob Dylan. Then they go, let's look a little deeper. Hey, you know, we don't know the heartland of America. We know the coast in San Francisco right. or New York. And so you get the benefit of suddenly being in a kind of a special group, a special kind of uh, identified group of cities that say out loud, we're a global city, we're a welcoming city, world, come and see who we are, and world, we want to learn from you. Health and wellness happens to be one of our golden spots here in Minnesota, but the whole world's thinking about that issue, lots of things that we can learn, and it's a fast-changing, incredible future in health and wellness. What can we learn by coming together in Minnesota in the summer? And Mark Rashid, let me ask you real quickly, when was the last time the U.S. had it? So in 1984, uh, we had won the right to host in 1992 in Chicago, a fantastic bid that they put together. But in the end, Harold Washington, the mayor, died suddenly. And uh, with his death, kind of 
many things changed in Chicago, then declined. They had won the right to host, but then they declined. So we'll be the uh, we we use their materials from Chicago to help us design our bit. We stood on their shoulders, but uh, they didn't so ever. Way have back that in nineteen eighty four, was that Knoxville? That's right. uh, no, that was New Orleans. So New Orleans, a long okay. time ago, same wow. summer as the Olympics. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, listen, uh, Mark Ritchie, thank you so much uh, for for joining us, and obviously, we're going to be following this. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I look forward to speaking to you again. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. All right, folks, uh, we are going to take a quick break, give you some weather. And then when we come back, a really fascinating segment, two people who were involved in getting Mark Zuckerberg, the billionaire founder of Facebook, to come here to Minneapolis for a dinner honoring the end of Ramadan. So keep it right here. You got to stay tuned for this. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 634 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe until 9 o'clock. Uh, great to be with you on a Saturday night. Well, one of the stories, one of the more intriguing stories that came out yesterday, actually, I saw a little blip on Facebook about it, was that Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, the founder of Facebook, he is a multi-billionaire, was actually in Minneapolis, I believe on Wednesday night, for an, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, an IFTA dinner. If I'm mispronouncing it, I'm sure my next two guests will, will correct me. But that is a dinner that is held to honor the end of the fasting period for Ramadan, and Mark Zuckerberg had dinner with a number of Somali-American immigrants and and refugees. And joining us right now are the two gentlemen who helped put this together. And I really want to hear this story because this has got to be a fascinating one. David Gaither is the executive director of the International Center, Education Center, excuse me. And Faisal Derry actually attended Mark Zuckerberg's dinner and helped put it together. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Esme. Uh, thank you. Okay, and first of all, uh, Faisal, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Faisal Derry. Faisal Derry. And then, and then tell us, what is the name of this dinner that honors the end of the fasting period for Ramadan? Iftar. Iftar. Okay, I did pronounce it. Iftar. Thank you so much. All right, let me ask you, uh, from my notes, I understand that it was, because I put out a whole bunch of text to my friends in the Somali-American community, and I kind of ended up with some some leads on where to go. Um, Mr. Gaither, I understand that you may have helped facilitate this. Tell us about that. Well, uh, yes, actually, I did. I, I'm the executive director for the school. And, uh, and, and tell us, I, what I, school is this? The International Education Center. Okay. Uh, we, we're an adult basic education uh, facility that teaches newly arrived immigrants and refugees how to speak English, and how to get a GED, and, and how to get a job and be prosperous in this area. And so uh, I received a phone call from a friend of mine, and it was as surreal as it might sound that um, Mr. Zuckerberg was interested in coming to Minneapolis, and he wanted to have an iftar dinner with a representative group of Somalis. And uh, he did. He wanted this to be a small group. He didn't want any uh, publicity, and he wanted to learn more about the culture and asked if I could uh, help do that. And because of the student population that we have, uh, after getting off the floor, I said, that sounds like a wonderful idea. And we went about the process of uh, asking some of our students and former students, and in Faisal's case, a non-student, to uh, attend an event that they wouldn't know who was going to be there. 
and uh, exactly what was going to be discussed, but it would be interesting and enlightening, and they would have an interesting time doing okay. it. All right, and let me ask you, because I want to get to Faisal, um, when did this happen? So you get this call, I mean, completely out of the blue. Completely. Okay. How long ago was that, if you can tell me? Uh, that was last week, midweek, and uh, the dinner was Thursday night. Thursday night. Okay. And where is your school? We are 1128 Harmon, 12th and Harmon, right downtown Minneapolis. Oh, okay. I know exactly where that is. Okay. Um, all right. It's right next to WCCO Television. Um, and so you, you get this call, and did part of you think, is this for real? Um, at, at first, of course, it's, um, there's a little bit of suspicion going, this is a pretty significant individual, and why would he want to come to Minneapolis to talk with this group? It, it at first didn't make a great deal of sense because the connections uh, didn't seem uh, proper and, and, and uh, reasonable. But after talking to their people, it was clear. Uh, Mark Wannis wants to continue to build community, and he wants to build community not just through social media, but in face-to-face interactions, which is interesting from the founder of Facebook. And uh, he said, I want to do this, and this is important to me, and I want to learn more about this group. And um, I would really appreciate it if you could put this all together, and things took off from there. All right, and, and Faisal Derry, I know that you're not a student at the school. Tell us about your background, because you're, you're pretty active in the community. Tell us about, you know, what you do. So I'm, I'm a consultant, and I lived in, in the Twin Cities about 20 years, and uh, mainly I work in the risk management space. Uh, so I've worked for a number of uh, major organizations, you know, in compliance, risk management, and consultants. So uh, I'm familiar with the Twin Cities and Somali community, and I have been, you know, active in the community to ensure that, you know, when uh, newcomers arrive here, they, they receive proper mentoring and coaching so that way, you know, they become a uh, contributing citizens uh, and also they learn how you know uh, engage in in different uh, communities and and learn you know different skills including you know how they can look for jobs how they can learn how they can you know prepare GED if they had no prior uh, schooling so i have been volunteering and i also chair uh, the somali museum which is the only museum uh, for Somali community anywhere in the world. And I, I'm also a member of the uh, Confederation of the Somali Community Board member. And I also sit on Access Medical Center, which is the number one uh, health clinic that Somalis use in the Twin Cities. All right. And then uh, let's, and just to, to set it straight, I mean, Iftar dinner, that, this is a big celebratory dinner, right? So iftar mainly is means that you know uh, uh, Muslims around the world uh, during the month of Ramadan uh, they fast you know uh, from uh, uh, sunrise to sunset. So uh, iftar means that you end the fasting at the sunset. So uh, uh, Thursday was one of the last days of Ramadan. Actually, tomorrow is the biggest celebration. Uh, for the the Muslim world, which is called Eid al-Fitri, where you know uh, Muslims around the world will celebrate, so it's to to the Muslims like the Christmas celebration. Got it. Okay, so um, did Mr. Gaither call you and say, and d- did he tell you who it was that was coming? No, he did not share with me, and I was not expecting, you know, Zuckerberg to be the individual coming, and it was a shock to me. I was thinking, you know, maybe it's a politician or maybe it's a rich guy who wants to know more about the Somali community and cultures, other than knowing that, you know, this individual is coming to the Twin Cities to know about Somalis and the, the, the culture of Somalis and learn more about that. That's all I knew uh, before the event. Okay. And so, so, David Gaither, were you the only one that knew who it was? Uh, in my organization, that is correct. Um, that was that was that was a condition that the Zuckerberg uh, placed on me, 
And uh, as you can well imagine, uh, asking people to come to an event that they don't know who is going to attending, uh, it's a little bit out of the norm. Right. Okay. So you're holding on to the secret. So uh, Faisal Dari, so you were the one, so you did you just sort of put out some invitations to people? I mean, how did it work? So the, the individuals who came are all in, mainly were students in, 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 in the international center. That, so I did not invite those people. David invited some of the students that go to that, the school. Okay, and these these are adult students. These are people who are learning English who have come here um, as adults. So these are not teens, right? That is correct. The okay. age ranges were 18 to 57, wow, okay. uh, a, a mixture of backgrounds, experiences, um, uh, educational facilities. I mean, Faisal, as you can see, is a, is a very accomplished uh, professional. And we have folks that are 18 years old who are just entering into Metropolitan uh, Community Technical College and, right. uh, and mothers with their sons, adult okay. sons. It was a, a, an eclectic group. And how many people were there? Uh, nine uh, Somali members, uh, Mark, myself, and uh, two staff members from Mark's team. Okay. And where was the dinner? Was it at 12th and Harmon? It was in one of our classrooms. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so you organize the dinner, and everybody's there, and I guess you get the food into the classroom. And then when, when do you realize who it is, and did, did the folks who were at the dinner understand who it was? That might have been the most entertaining part of the, of the evening at a certain level. Uh, Mark, uh, one of the staffers, was there, and all the individuals who were attending were standing in the hallway, and he proceeded to tell them who was coming. And so there's nine uh, Somali members looking at him, and he said, and it's going to be Mark Zuckerberg. Six of the nine, you, you might have said it was going to be Elmer Fudd. Nobody knew who that was. Right. The three that knew who Mark was were obviously quite excited. And then Faisal translated uh, specifically what this meant to the other group, you know, asking them if they had Facebook accounts. And they all, everybody does. Yeah, yes. They raised their hands, and then the games began. Right. Okay, so we're, so they were, and, 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 you know, in the process of reporting, I often, um, you know, I, I know that obviously Facebook is obviously worldwide, and, and you know, people of all different, you know, uh, nationalities and, and regions, they're, they're all on Facebook. So so they got it, and then so then he walks in, and I, you know, I've of course never met Mark Zuckerberg, but he seems like a pretty low key guy in some ways. He's sort of the jeans and the hoodie guy, um, mm-hmm. you know. And he's also still very young. I mean, he's still only in his thirties, I believe, early thirties. Um, what was it like? Uh, obviously, for those of us who knew who he was, it was it was quite an event. And for those who were just getting to know him, um, it was extraordinarily connected. I mean, folks were so respectful, and it was, they were so interested. And as most conversations go with people who are unfamiliar with each other, it started out slowly when he asked them to tell them their stories of how they got to America. And then things broke down and really opened up, and it was a wonderful exchange, a, a, a tremendously enjoyable experience to be part of and watch, mostly watch, as people in the room shared with him the stories of their journey to America, and that just led to a whole series of conversations that was only supposed to go an hour, and it went almost two and a half. And, and, and can you just tell me, what was the reaction from, from those in the room? Um, what was it like for you, and, and what, did, what did you hear, you know, right in that room and then in the aftermath as well? I think people were shocked, including myself. You know, I, I was not expecting, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg to, to walk into that mm-hmm. building and, you know, in a small uh, classroom, come in and, and, and have a dinner with the folks. 
And I was actually shocked, and people were all shocked and were looking at each other when they realized it, you know, the, and they call, you know, the boss of Facebook. So every one of them had a <laughs> Facebook account. So when they realized, and one, one individual even asked, did he actually create Facebook? Yes, he did. It was a shock, shock to them. Yeah, they, they, it was shocked to them to believe that, that they're meeting with the individual who, you know, the founder and CEO of Facebook. So it was a shocking. But I, one thing that I really, really, really ha- have to say is that during the discussion, which lasted, you know, over two hours, one thing I learned about, you know, I've met CEOs, you know, and in my corporate life, I participated, you know, corporate governance role. I have never seen a CEO who was so passionate and who says, you know, what the goal is and ambition is and vision of the organization is and who walks the talk. He seems that someone who is not only humble, but also who who has that passion. You can tell that, you know, he's passionate about connecting and creating a connected global village. Right. And and so was he able to and I imagine that, that for some of these people, especially if they were recently arrived, there is obviously a um you know, the language barrier, were you, who was translating? Faisal was doing a wonderful job of helping with that. Because while they all can speak English at varying degrees of proficiency, um, they were sometimes most comfortable in asking their question and answering their question in Somali, and, and Faisal would act as the interpreter and did a great job. Okay, well, of course, and, and that's, that's obviously, you know, critical in any of us who tried to study a foreign language. You know, you, you may be able to grasp a little bit, but it's hardest to express that. Um what was was there one thing? And did they understand? I'm just looking at here. He's 33. <laughs> he's 33 years old, and his net worth, according to um, Business Insider, is 63 billion dollars. And he's 33 years old. What um, was there one kind of thing that he seemed most interested in, or was there one thing that that, that you know the people at the dinner? And you mentioned there were about how many people? Nine or so people. Correct. At the dinner. Was there one thing that really stood out or a few things that stood out for you? Well, why don't you go first, Faisal? Because I, I, you, know, you know, one of, one of the things I think he, he was very interested in is, is, is when, when you meet someone who's from a refugee camp, has never seen, you know, in a big city, and in only three or four months in the country, and they, can, they could express themselves in English, although they didn't have a very strong command of the language. He was actually, I think, surprised to see, you know, in... in in a short amount of time that, that, that these people, you know, were able to speak English. The other thing that I, I think he was more interested in is to learn the resilience of these people. You know, they came to the country. They knew some of them are only a few months here. But they're already some of them are working, you know, are commuting to school, learning English. So I think that whole uh, picture uh, was very fascinating, and I think he was shocked to learn all that. You know, and I, I do want to ask you, Faisal, because this is this is obviously these are are difficult times, and certainly our, our current president has made a great deal of uh, he, he's had you know multiple proposals for a travel ban, which includes Somalia. I know that many people people that I have talked to in the Somali American community are, are profoundly troubled. Um, we have people going over the border to Canada. These are not easy times, and it's not easy. I cannot imagine having to come to a foreign country where you don't know, you have to start all over and you don't know the language, so it's difficult to begin with. But what was it like having somebody of this stature come here at this particular time? I think I think it was a very strong statement. It sent a very st- strong statement that you know, Mr. Zuckerberg cares about you know all the communities in this country and the diversity, the strength of diversity. So what I said, uh, you know, in, in that meeting, that was a very very strong message. 
And and I still believe that was a very strong message, and it actually was very encouraging for especially newcomers to this country, for them to be able to meet one of the richest human beings on earth, maybe the the fifth or fourth richest man on earth, you know, in an humble uh, building, and 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 they see him as a very you know very human that's very modest and humble and talking to them, sitting next to them, you know, going and grabbing his own dinner. Though that sends a strong message, that sends them that he cares about, and America, you know, cares about. And one of the individuals actually said that we're actually so fortunate to be in this country, and this is our home. Well, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. And listen, uh, gentlemen, I, I do have to take a very quick break, but I'd like to continue this conversation, if you can stick with me for just a couple of minutes. Uh, right now, it is 6.50 in the Twin Cities, McCarthy Auto World, where you can save 20% off MSRP on select. It is 6.52 in the Twin Cities. This is really a fascinating discussion. If you're just joining us, uh, David Gaither is the executive director for uh, the International Education Center. Faisal Derry is uh, one of those who attended the dinner, uh, the Iftar dinner, with Mark Zuckerberg uh, in downtown Minneapolis, a small little dinner in a classroom on Thursday night. No media, no press. And it's a remarkable thing. The only really – the reason this got out is that Mark Zuckerberg posted about it on his Facebook page. Going back to you, David Gaither, uh, you were the one who got the call, and you were told it was Mark Zuckerberg, but you were not to tell anybody else. That's correct. Um, is there? Do you have any idea why? And granted, there are, um, you know, there are other Somali organizations here. Is there any? Do you have any idea why he chose you, or can you give us or your group? Can you give us any um, insight? Well, I would. I would love to tell you that I'm very good friends with Mark, and it was a connection <laughs> that he made, and that would just be. You a guys are tight. Yeah. Uh, as, as you know, it's a who world, and, and and people connect with people that they know, and it was just pure luck and serendipity that uh, a friend of mine received this call and called me because he knew knows of my background and the fact that I've been doing this for about ten years, and then I uh, I have forty percent of my students are Somali, and you know, with six seven hundred students a year. That gives me some experience and understanding in the community that gave me access to a group of people that Mark wanted to talk to. So it was, I'll call it just luck that he wanted to talk to Somalis and that I had some access to those folks. And it turned out to be a, like I say, wonderful experience. It was just nothing more than that, really. Um, and so, you know, what I, I, it sounds like the way that they kind of began this dinner was just, you know, he wanted to hear everybody's stories and, and with the, how they came here, what they were doing. How did it end? Well, I will. I probably shouldn't share this, but I think it's going to be pretty public knowledge that uh, uh, Zuckerberg team, when they set these things up, they're very professional. They've done this more than once, and they have some guidelines that they want to follow: no press, no telling anybody what's going on. And one of the most important things is there'll be no selfies or cell phones during the event, right. which is fine. That's understandable. So the, he brought his own professional photographer along to take some uh, photographs, and uh, he was in the room as well. And the photographs were taken. Various members were getting pictures with Mark. And then Mark, unbeknownst to his staff, was, was having a wonderful time and says, well, how about some selfies? And I thought his staff was going to pass out. <laughs> and, and, of course, everybody reaches for their cell phone, and they start taking pictures. And he stayed around for 15, 20 minutes to make sure everybody got the pictures that they wanted of him, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that yes, he is one of the richest men in the world, and he's 32 years old, and I have shoes older than that. And, <laughs> and, he, and he took the time 
to be related to. And it looked like he was really enjoying himself to take pictures with people and that's make sure cool. that they got their needs met. Yes. So that's very cool. Faisal, your thoughts about um, just how it all ended? I think it was a remarkable, like David said, you know, as part of the protocols probably was not to take pictures, but he he made make sure that because he was well connected to the, you know, individuals that were sitting next to him, and he wanted to make sure that, you know, they felt comfortable, and he felt comfortable, you know, handshaking and talking to them and, and also, you know, having selfies and pictures with them. So it ended, it was remarkable. You know, like I said, I've never seen a CEO that, you know, uh, not billionaire, but also a CEO that's so, so modest and, and so passionate about what he wants to do. Wow. Okay. And and it lasted, you, you said, uh, it was only supposed to last an hour, right? And then it, it went over that. It, it was uh, scheduled for an hour. And, uh, you know, as he travels, he has a staff of people with him as well. And the staff had been down in Chicago earlier in the day. And it was approaching 11 o'clock. We started the dinner at sundown. It was approaching 11 o'clock, and we were still in the conversation. And he had he, he ended the conversation because it had taken eight, two hours. I think his staff was exhausted from the course of the day. Right. I, think he, I think he would have stayed longer if he was able to. Wow, that, that is so cool. So, so in, in the end, there were selfies that, that people took with Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes. Very cool. Well, I, I, just, I think this is just a really cool story. And um, it's one that sort of came out of the blue. And David Gaither, good job keeping a secret, man. Thank you. <laughs> and, and Faisal, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I'm sure the people just had a, a wonderful time. Uh, our pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, absolutely. Faisal Derry and, and David Gaither. Uh, how cool. Like the, the billionaire that came to dinner. Uh, very interesting. All right, folks, um, coming up in our next hour, we're going to talk about uh, North Korea with a North Korean expert, uh, the tragedy there, and also the new fair foods. you got to love them. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.